up, everybody? Uh, welcome back to the Bull of Rachel Davis podcast, brought to you by AJ's Beef Burgers, Beef and Beer in West Lafayette. Um, check them out on campus. Uh, brought to you by the Field of 68 Podcast Network. Um, like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. Today we got a, a very special guest, a great guest, a guy that I wrote my, my senior project, senior paper about um, having pet players being able to be paid in NCAA to a guy that read his book that I think led me to become a defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. Uh, so a guy that I look up to, a guy that Coach Painter gave each player his book and said, read this, let's make us a better team. I think it did. But nonetheless, Jay Billis, how you doing, Jay Billis? I'm doing great, Rafael. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So, Jay, I just want to um, – I know you don't got a lot of time, but I want to talk about your childhood a little bit. I don't know. You grew up in Southern California. I knew you grew up a UCLA fan. So talk about a little bit how you how was that growing up? Where did you start playing ball? When did you, when did you realize that ball was something that you were going to take to the next level? Yeah, I'm a typical, you know, kid. I, I grew up in Southern California, not far from the, the water, and um, I played every sport growing up. But uh, when I was about in third grade, my mom uh, read a little blurb in the newspaper about a basketball league, you know, the local little bitty league, and she took me up to the high school and I went through tryouts, and I wind up, wound up never having really played organized ball before, making – uh, this travel team. They had a travel team um, at that level. So from fourth grade through eighth grade, I played uh, with the same guys. We played all over Southern California, Nevada every weekend. And uh, that's how I fell in love with it. I just, I had a blast. I played with the same guys all the time. And uh, and then when I, you know, I, I was tall at that age and or taller than most of my friends, but we had a, a tall group of guys on my team. And uh, so it was a place where I could fit in. I really, I really loved it. And by the time I got to high school, I got to be pretty good. And um, it was a point of pride for me. And it made me feel like I was, uh, uh, like I was worthy, you know, like I, right, you know, right. I was a pretty decent student and all that stuff, but it was something I could stand out in and people looked at you and they identified you as a player. And right. that, that made me feel good, better about myself, I'm sure. No, that makes sense. And being, having a senior year that you did, having all the accolades coming your way, being one, being the best player in California, how'd you end up in North North Carolina with Coach K? I mean, Coach K was just starting out, had a couple seasons under his belt. So young coach at this time, he wasn't who he is now, had a winning season, then a losing season, and then he gets one of the best recruiting classes in the country. What made you want to commit to him and commit to that program? I just really liked him, Rafael. I, I thought, just thought he was the right guy for me. Um, I had a difficult, I'd call it a difficult relationship with my high school coach, and I think all of us that played for him did. Uh, so after that, I kind of decided, you know what, this is the only time I'm going to get to choose who I play for, and I'm not screwing this up. I'm going to choose the right guy. And uh, it was less about where I went to school and more about who I played for. And, uh, and I came down to four guys. It was uh, Coach K at Duke, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, uh, Ted Owens at Kansas, um, and, uh, and Lute Olson was at Iowa at the time, not at Arizona, he was at Iowa. So those were the four guys I wanted to play with, and, and Coach K was the least well-known, the least successful, the least experienced, but I just liked him the best. What was it about him that stood out? I mean, I, I, cause I get what you're saying. I, I feel that way about Coach Painter. He's just a guy that you genuinely enjoy to be around. But was it something that Coach K, was it something that stood out about him? Well, he was really genuine and still is. And, uh, and he put his time in. Um, most of the guys did. But he did uh, just, it seemed like a little bit extra. 
and uh, and there was a, just a factor where you trusted what he said, and it didn't come with you know there weren't any banners hanging up where where you know you could you know he walked into the room and you were like oh my God it's Coach K you didn't I didn't when he first called me I'd never heard of him I didn't even know who I didn't know the name and uh, so but after getting to know him it was just something I, like I really liked them and I guess. I don't know. It's not a really good answer I'm giving you. It's hard to it's hard to quantify or enumerate every like the reasons I like them. I just liked them right. and trusted them. And there was something in my gut that said this is the right guy. Like this is the guy you should hit your wagon to. When you know their team wasn't any good, and you know there were a lot of people after I made my decision, and we we had the number one recruiting class there saying that was a huge mistake. Like he's not going to make it there. You know he's going to get fired. Stuff like that. Right. Um, but I, uh, I never really worried about that too much. Right. And, uh, and when you got to Duke, obviously as a freshman, I mean, being the number, number one recruiting class in the country with great players, you come in and you play. How was that being a freshman? You're playing now right, right away. Eye-opening. Um, we, were, we were very good, and uh, we had a lot of talent and all that. But back then, it wasn't like it is now. Like, you, you guys, your generation, you guys are all better players. Like, it's not like, you know, everybody's better than they used to be. But generally, the, the players today are better than they were 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Um, it's not to say that Johnny Dawkins wasn't better than Carson Edwards or vice versa. You know, you can argue individual players. But generally, the players are better than ever now. The only difference between, your, you know, the game that you played in college, the game I played in college, is you played against younger competition than I did. Um, everybody stayed back then. And so you played against senior lottery picks, not freshman and sophomore lottery picks. And so the game, the teams were more experienced and more mature and more powerful. And uh, it's not to say that the teams today couldn't have beaten them, but if you look at football now, there, there's no football team in the 80s that could beat a football team now in college. It would, it, there's no way. The, 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 the football teams today would kick the hell out of the football teams in the 80s. I'm not sure that the basketball teams would, and it's only because of experience. So we had to play against Michael Jordan as a, as a sophomore and junior, and, and uh, Ralph Sampson was my first ACC game. He was a senior, like as a 22-year-old, first pick in the draft, three-time uh, three uh, player of the year, and, you know, future Hall of Famer. Patrick Ewing was, uh, uh, was in school back then, stayed four years. Like, that just doesn't happen anymore. So that yeah. was the difference. We were playing against men, and uh, and we got our ass kicked our first year. But then, then we figured it out. We got we got ranked and really good our second year, our third year, our fourth year. What was it that – what was it? Was You just think you guys took your lumps and your, your losses and you guys came together that offseason? Or what kind of jailed you together to have that turnaround in the locker room? Well, we were we were close to being good, but we got knocked back a, a few times, and you know we'd have close losses, and they started to pile. You know how things get snowball, and um, and then you know every season is kind of like a prize fight where the bell doesn't ring, but when you're older and you've been through it before, you know how to handle it. You, you know, and, and we didn't know how to handle it, so uh, you know things kind of snowballed on us, and we we had a rough season, and but you know the off season. You get stronger. You know what you're. You know what's expected. You know what it takes to win, even though you weren't able to get over the hump that first year. And then we got really good. And but even then, Rafe, we we would go to the NCAA, we went to the NCAA tournament, 
and none of us had ever been there before. Like our coach had never been to the NCAA tournament before. So mm. like my coach K's first, my first NCAA tournament game was coach K's first. He'd never coached wow. in one before. So, um, you know, we, we kind of had to learn all that stuff together and, uh, and, and we figured it out, but, uh, but it wasn't easy. Like now everybody's got experience, you know, a freshman comes in, they're playing with experience, uh, players around them. The coaches have experience. That wasn't true when, when, when I played for Coach K. It was just different. I get that. I get that. And during your time at Duke, you got the opportunity to play for the, um, the national team, USA team. You got the opportunity to play for Coach Katie. Do you, can, do you remember anything from the experiences from, with Coach Katie? I know a lot of Purdue fans uh, re, maybe remember that our older fans are. I'm just curious myself. How was that? Because how is that? I remember you a lot. Play for, you, you play for your, I'm sorry about that, but you play for your coach. I mean, obviously you play for a great coach. But then in the summertime, you transition for another coach. He may be completely different from your coach. You know what I mean? So how was that with, Co- with Coach Katie? It was, it was awesome. Like, I love Gene Katie, and I'd walk through fire for that guy. He was so great, and it was really different than what I was used to. I, like, I'd never had a timed water break before, and, uh, and, and he, was, he was a piece of work, man. He, he was all over us at times, and, but he was so supportive and such a great, great man. Um, but we, we had some, we had some, we were, we were in West Lafayette for two weeks training Oh dang. and, uh, and yeah, so, you know, we stayed at a, you know, a little holiday in there and worked out every day. And he, he had, uh, he, he, he had the first, the first day it was the U S uh, the U S men's national select team. So it was, it was the, the team was picked. And so he, um, coach Katie had a meeting the very first, the very first day and had all our rooming assignments, practice times, you know, all the things we we're going to – and then up, at, up on the kind of the chalkboard, uh, there was our – he had written the team goals. And team, uh, goal number one was win the gold medal, and goal number two was fight communism. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was like, man, that's a pretty lofty goal we got. Like, how are we going to accomplish that? Uh, but I always joke about it, like like he says, "Oh, I never did that." And I was like, "Yes, you did. That was absolutely up there." And uh, and so I would always joke with people when they'd laugh at that, saying, "Go ahead and laugh." But five years after we played, you know, the Berlin Wall came down. So you're welcome. And uh, uh, I just I loved him. He was so great, uh, and we we had a blast playing for him. But but he was he was uh, hard on us at times. And uh, but off the floor, and uh, he was just a, a prince of a guy, and uh, and I could see why Purdue players loved him and and loved Matt Painter so much because they've got some similarities, uh, but just a a wonderful wonderful guy to play for. Right. Yeah. And just after that year that you played, you had that experience. I believe you went back to Duke, and you guys made that Final Four run, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We um you know we had been ranked in the top two the year before in 1985 before I, I played for coach Katie in the summer and then we went back and we were we were ranked in the top five before the season started we we thought we were pretty good and we kind of ripped through the year we won 16 in a row lost in the first game of the Dean Dome to North Carolina uh, by a bucket and then we ripped off another 21 in a row so we we went into the final four we went into the championship game we'd already won 37 games and that was the most ever at that time, it's been you know, Kentucky won 38 a few years ago and, and eclipsed that. But um, you know, we, we wound up losing to, to Louisville in the final, and, uh, and that was really disappointing. They beat us by a bucket, and you know, we thought we were better, but we got we got beat. And had we won that game, we would have been uh, you know 38 and two, losing only to 
on the road to top to teams in the top three. Uh, so, you know, would have been would have been a nice capper for a career, but uh, we couldn't finish it off. I know, and obviously you making a, that type of run yourself, um, having an unbelievable career, Duke having an unbelievable run your senior year to the Final Four, kind of leads me into kind of this season, a weird season during COVID, and now we're in March. Kind of what's your expectations in, for the bubble in the NCAA? Or do you, I mean, it's a weird setting. So how do you how do you see it playing out for March Madness, the Final Four run this year? You know, Rafael, I'm just I'm just hopeful that um, that everything goes well. Uh, it's been a it's been a really difficult year for everybody, but it's been more difficult on the players than anyone. Yeah. You know, it's the players that have been living in isolation, not the coaches or staff. It's been hard on the coaches and staff. They've had a difficult job, um, but the players are the ones that don't get to see their families. The players, the coaches and staff, all go home at night and see their families. And uh, so the, the biggest sacrifice has been made by the, the players. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the long-term cost of this is going to be. I know we haven't done this for anyone else in the college space. Like, you know, when people say, well, the, the players want to play and all that, I get that. I want to work, and you do too. We all want to do what we do. But, you know, you kind of have to ask yourself, what, what, what other person has any, any of these schools put on an airplane to go to a, an event this year other than an athlete. We haven't, you know, no, we haven't done that for anybody. And so, you know, we've kind of compromised a lot of what we say are our values in this thing. But now that we're here, um, I'm hopeful that, uh, that it goes well and that we don't have any kind of crazy happenings like, you know, positive tests or some sort of spread. Uh, I don't think we will cause the protocols are so strict, but, uh, um, you know, a lot of these players have worked really hard for, or they've all worked really hard for it, but they put themselves in a position to uh, to finish this off in a in a nice way. I just hope they get the chance to do it. No, uh, yeah, I definitely think so, and I'm excited for what Purdue is right now coming into March. Uh, I feel like they're turning the corner. I feel like Jaden Ivey's coming to his own. Um, Zach kind of came into his own in the season. Have you been watching Purdue lately, at all? Yeah, yeah, they're really good. I mean, it's it's amazing that they've been able to finish in the top four and double by and all that stuff in the in the Big Ten, being the best league. And I watched them early, and I wasn't sure, um, you know, just how good they'd be. And uh, and it's kind of testament to a team that has kept plugging and uh, and hasn't sort of uh, let themselves be defined by what other people think. Um, because they kept getting better, and I, I'm a huge fan of Travion Williams. I mean, he's a he's a stud. So I, there's no reason that they can't beat anybody. Uh, and I'm not a believer that like I think Gonzaga and Baylor and Michigan are are the best teams, but they're the best teams because they've been the most consistent at the highest level, not because they can't be beat. Like Purdue's proven they can beat any of those three teams. Uh, now, if it was if it were a seven game series, would I favor? The three I mentioned, yes, I would. But but do I think that Purdue can't win this whole – they absolutely can win this whole thing. No, no doubt, no doubt. I know a lot of um, a lot of Purdue fans will quote that from you or will use that on, all over Twitter, so I appreciate that one. But, no, from Jay, I, um, I was reading about – I was reading some articles, I was reading some things about you, and I read kind of the best advice that you got from Coach K. And I use the same exact advice. It's, I say it's the best advice I got from Coach Painter. What, what, how important is it to be able to move on to the next play, rather be in a game or just moving on to the next day in life? Yeah, I, I, it's just kind of moment to moment with me in, in life. Like you're going to have things 
you know, times where things don't go well for you or they go great and, uh, and you have to move on. Um, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy yourself and enjoy a moment, but uh, you have to move on to the next thing and, and kind of flush what has just happened and don't carry it with you to your detriment uh, by letting it distract you from the next thing you have to do. So, uh, you know, my dad was a big deal in that. Uh, he didn't he didn't have a nice phrase for it like, like Coach K did with next play, but my dad always used to say, you know, concentrate on what you're doing while you're doing it. And, uh, and it was basically about, like, it started when I was in high school of him saying, quit worrying about, quit worrying about stuff that, that doesn't matter right now. Uh, I think, I, I think the first time he mentioned it was when he, he saw I was distracted during a game and he said, what, what was, what, what's bothering you? And, uh, and, and he never gave me advice on how to play. He left me alone, but he had said, what was something bothering you? And I said, well, I got a, I got all this stuff that's going on. I got a test tomorrow. I got this. I don't know if I'm prepared for this, whatever. And he says, well, what, what, what good did it do you to worry about it in the game? Like, you can't do anything about it in the game. Uh, so as soon as you decide to play, play and flush everything else. Like, let it go. And then when the game's over, flush the game and, and go get your schoolwork done and move on to the next thing. Um, and he goes, it, it, like, if you set aside time to go to the movies with your girlfriend, don't think about basketball or think about school or what. You, you've devoted that time to enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. But then when it's done move on and concentrate on the next thing and don't think about your girlfriend while you're in class or, uh, you know, don't think about school while you're playing and don't think about playing while you're in school. It's, it's not that difficult. And, uh, and he was right. And that, that's sort of the way I do things. I kind of, or try to do things. It's not easy, but, uh, you, you try. And if you make a mistake or, um, you know, if you do something you wish you could take back, you can't take it back, deal with it head on and then, and then move on. Uh, no, that's great advice, and that's for any any player out there listening or anybody. Just, I mean, that's amazing advice. I can't really add much to that one. And Jay, moving on from there, we have a couple questions for Twitter. But a, few, a question I always I've always wondered since I was in college, since I kind of been following you on Twitter, I've always had a dying a dying love for Young Jeezy with I mean the Thug Motivation albums and things of that sort. Where did kind of the passion for Young Jeezy? I see all the tweets coming from your account. Where, where did that come from, the every morning 6 a.m. Jeezy tweet? Yeah, it's kind of an odd story. So I, I've listened to rap music. Uh, I first noticed it. I, I don't know exactly when it started. I'm not a rap historian. But I first noticed, like, rap music and started listening to it in the late 1970s. There was a band called the Sugar Hill Gang, and my teammates and I in high school uh, just kind of loved it. They had a song called Rapper's Delight, and we knew every word to it. We'd sing it when we were doing conditioning work and stuff. And, and, uh, and then when I was in college, all my, uh, a lot of my friends listened to Run DMZ, uh, Run DMC and all that stuff, and, you know, just really enjoyed it. And so when, um, when we were at game day, we were doing game day at Michigan State, I think, in probably 2010, uh, 2009, whatever it was, and uh, Draymond Green was wearing some headphones, and we asked what he was listening to, and he said, I'm listening to Young Jeezy. And one of my colleagues says, do you, do you listen to that? And I said, well, actually, I do. And, uh, and so it became a Twitter thing, and uh, people were asking me, come on, man, you don't really listen to the Snowman. And I said, well, yeah, I do. It's not the only thing I listen to, but I do. And uh, I put a couple lyrics out to kind of convince people, no, I know what this is. I listen to this. I really know. I, I do. And it's not like I've, you know, I'm memorizing this stuff or I listen to it all, every day, all day, but I do listen right. to it. And so uh, I, 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 somehow the lyric thing became a, a, a daily deal and uh, it kind of took off for some reason, but uh, it's been fun. And, and I got, you know, I, I got to know Jeezy through it 
And nice. uh, uh, so every once in a while, I, I get a chance to talk to him. And uh, so it's been fun for me. Oh, that's cool. That's super cool, man. Now, um, and Jay Billis, I know I, I want to touch on something that's really important to me, and I'm I'm heavy on. I know I, I know you're heavy into it because I've been following you since, like I said, I was at Lalamere Prep my senior year in high school. Where did the? I know you were on the you were on the NCAA. You're on the long wage players committee when you were at Duke. But where did kind of that passion for players' rights, kind of that you want to see players win just as much as the universities win? Where did that passion come from? It's just a, it's just an idea of, of what's fair and what's right. So when I was in college, you mentioned I was I was a, uh, an athlete representative on on the NCAA's long range planning committee. So I was on this committee with commissioners and uh, conference commissioners and uh, athletic directors and the like, and some of the great administrators really in NCAA history. And I didn't care for the rules that we had, um, and I said so. And I got shot down in these meetings, and they, the people were great, but they didn't care for, you know, some of the ideas that I had. And uh, But back then, you know, my, I felt like I was, I was on that team. So when decisions were made, even if I disagreed with them, I supported them because I thought that's what you did. And, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to go out and, like, trash the organization or trash the rules or anything because I felt like I was – I sat in the room. The decision was made I didn't agree with, but um, – I was there and I, I need to support it. But when I became a broadcaster and, and I'm a lawyer too, um, you know, I, I know NCAA policy and I'm, I, I'm, I, there are certain things I differ with. And so when I differ with it or, and I'm covering it, uh, I say so, but I just don't see why it's so difficult that athletes be allowed the same economic rights as literally everybody else. Like um, there are, you know, there's no student, uh, on campus that's told what they can earn or accept or they're restricted in what they can earn or accept. It's only an athlete. And, uh, and I find that profoundly wrong to the point of being immoral. Uh, and I, I think it's especially, um, it's especially uh, poignant right now, given what athletes are going through in order to generate revenue for the, uh, for the enterprise. Right. Um, and I don't know if you saw it, but there, there are all these economists have come out saying, for those of you that are that are putting out there this idea that only Trevor Lawrence or Zion Williamson are going to make money if athletes have economic rights, you're wrong. Like a lot of these female athletes that are in gymnastics or basketball or volleyball are are have huge revenue potential for name, image, and likeness, yeah. and uh, in the social media space. So you know the revenue streams are are gigantic for both men and women. Uh, for all sports, and uh, and the players deserve to be able to monetize their value because uh, there's no reason amateurism does not do anything positive for the players. They're not a better player. They're not a better student. They're not a better person by virtue of their amateurism. Uh, all it does is uh, is leave more money for uh, for the enterprise itself and for the for the administrators and coaches and all that. They make more money, but the uh, it doesn't do one thing for the athlete. And why is and is amateurism when you get behind those those doors? Is amateurism the reason that it is shot down every 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 year while players cannot be paid? Well, that's what they say. The reason yeah. is they just don't want to. You know, right. it's kind of like if 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 I if I were benefiting for a rule where I didn't have to pay any of my employees, I, I'd I'd say, hey, that's great. I love it. that's great. I don't have to pay anybody that comes over and performs services for me. That'd be awesome. Uh, I just have to give them their expenses. That'd be fantastic. Um, they just don't want to. 
And mm -hmm. amateurism, as you probably know, is a is an you know sort of an old vestige of of uh, old England, and that that and, and the you know handlebar mustachioed white men uh, of the Ivy League, and really it's just an exclusionary thing, uh, where if you if you have an amateur rule, the the common man can't afford to play, and it's only going to be rich rich people, and that's what it was back when Wimbledon was an amateur event. It was all rich people won the tennis tournament, and and uh, same thing in the Olympics, um, and uh, and you know golf, you name it. it. It's it's exclusionary by nature, and that's what that's what uh, that's how it started in uh, in college sports. Is the Ivy League wanted gentlemen playing against gentlemen? They didn't want the unwashed masses allowed in, and and that's where it came from. And knowing this, and knowing this, and the things that are happening now, like you said, the NIL and kind of social media kind of boosting right now and players wanting more from themselves. Where do you see basketball going? And you see different leagues start to come about. How do you think college basketball keeps its power? Well, college basketball is going to be fine. Um, but if all of these players uh, start going, if you have the, all of the best players going to a G League or going into the NBA draft, if they're allowed out of high school, it's clearly going to diminish uh, college basketball. It won't kill it, but it'll diminish it. And, and I, I'm bothered uh, by the idea that, you know, rather than allow the players their economic rights, we're going to – we would rather divert them from college altogether. And right now we're putting players at a choice. You can choose your education and, and, and sort of the, the, the normal social, uh, socialization of college, or you can choose money right now. And I don't know. I don't understand why they can't have both when every other student is allowed to have both. You know, Natalie Portman went to went to college and she acted and made a ton of money while she was in school, and nobody nobody said she couldn't do that. Why why are we doing this for an athlete and saying they can't? Um, you know, nobody was saying, well, Natalie Portman shouldn't be allowed to do that because not every other student is able to do it. That's not fair. You know, nobody said that, but we use that lame argument with regard to athletes as if every, you know, everybody gets the same thing in every endeavor, and they don't. Um, so I, I just don't think the boogeyman is under the bed, you know, in, in players being allowed to be paid. And I don't think it should stop at name, image, and likeness. All, all that is is a, is a, is a compromise. Um, why shouldn't the, the players be allowed to receive whatever compensation they like? Um, you know, and if the schools want to pay them, go ahead and pay them. Um, I don't, I don't see a problem with that, but, uh, uh, you know, look, I don't, I understand why the NCAA is fighting it and it's because they want all the money and, uh, I understand it. I just don't agree with it. Uh, um, I'm a hundred percent behind exactly what you just said. I don't, I understand it as well. I don't agree with it. I wish it comes to, um, a better understanding. I wish players could benefit because of myself. I was, I had to take an unpaid internship while I was at Purdue. I had a daughter at the time. It was a summer where I needed to work, I needed to make some money, and I needed to feed my daughter. The scholarship check wasn't enough, and I had to take an unpaid internship. Whereas, though, I could have got an internship with a company, Fortune 500 company, made a couple thousand dollars that, that, that summer. So I definitely agree with you. I definitely think athletes should be even just even just be able to do a paid internship. So, so no, I, think well, I definitely agree with you there. If, you, if you'll indulge me for a second, you just made so many great points there. And I'll tell you something, uh, Raphael, that, that, that really frosts me. And it's when, it's when you as a player are referred to as a kid. 
right. they'll say, hey, the kids, the kids want to play, or the kids this, or the kids are getting this or that. You weren't a kid when you were in college. You exactly. were an adult. Exactly. And and you know, like and and there are there are uh, it is not uncommon for adult students to be married to have children while they're in college. Exactly. And the idea that that somehow like you were infantilized by by the system saying that you were a kid always really frosted me. And they do that on purpose. They do it to make it seem like, well, you know, these are just kids. They don't deserve it. And, you know, adults deserve it. You know, they haven't made, you know, adult, they, they don't make adult decisions. They don't do adult things. Um, I, I, that, that's always really bothered me, and I don't like it. And I, and I never, I, I try never to. Uh, you know, when you're my age, you refer to 35-year-olds as kids. Yeah, he's a nice kid. Uh, so I, but I'm try, I try to be really careful with that and make sure I say the players because you were not a kid when you were in college. You were an adult. You, you might have been a young adult, uh, but you were an adult, and, and you should be treated that way uh, just like every other student is treated that way and allowed to participate in, in commerce whenever they feel like it without restriction. And, uh, and I, I don't see why athletes should be accepted in that way. And, I, and this is one more point to that. And this, in, in a sense of just, and I say internships because say a guy goes to play ball overseas for 10 years or goes to play, goes to play for two years. When they come back to the States, normally they don't have any work experience. And some comp- they, companies want to see work experience. So I know you get the argument of, well, he got a free education, but he wasn't able to get any work experience. He didn't get any internship experience. So when he comes home from playing, it's stuck, you know what I mean? So normally players come home and they get stuck for a little bit because they don't have those connections that their classmates made in college at those career fairs while we were at practice. You know what I mean? So no, I know I exactly what you mean. Yeah, that's a great point. I agree with all of that. And Jay, I know, um, I know, I know you got to head out, but I definitely appreciate you taking the time and talking with me. Um, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation since I was 17. Um, so if you're out there, uh, please check it out. Like, subscribe, Bull Rubber, Rayfield Davis. Check out our website, rayfielddavisbasketball.com. We actually have a basketball coming, basketball camp starting next week for spring break, then the following week, then April 5th through 7th. We're raising money to send as many bas- as many kids in this time right now to free basketball camp as we can. Definitely reach out if you want to donate, donate on the website. But Jay, I really appreciate you joining us. I really appreciate the fight that you're fighting for the players. It's a great fight. If you ever need anything from me, Definitely don't hesitate. Well, Raphael, I hope you know what a huge admirer I am of yours and, and were as a player. I mean, I thought you were not just Big Ten player, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. I thought you were National Defensive Player of the Year. But uh, it's, a pl- it's a pleasure. Uh, you know, obviously, if there's anything I, I can ever do for you, let me know. But, but thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Um, thank you. That's big time. I really appreciate that.